Welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. Join your hosts Jeff, Owen, Josh, and Herman as they dive deep into the game of Malifaux. Explore sophisticated strategies and creative combinations, but always remember in Malifaux, bad things happen. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Capital City Crew Malifaux Podcast. We are here with your usual crew, and today we are going to be discussing the Frontiersmen, Mr. Bass, and all of his fun and exciting Guild and Explorers Society models. Uh, but before that, a couple of, a couple important things. First off, check us out on our Patreon. We would love your support and assistance making the podcast happen. You can look in the show notes for a link to that and how to get started. And second thing is, please do post on our Facebook posts about this. Give us feedback, give us ideas, uh, ask any questions. We would love to do a mailbag episode and basically do the types of episodes that you, the listeners, want to hear. So let us know. We love the feedback and really appreciate it. So something we're going to do a little bit different in today's episode is before we get to the main section about the frontier keyword, we're going to try out a new segment that we're calling the 10-minute tech talk. Uh, So we have up to 10 minutes to talk about one tech pick that one of us recently took in a game. So to inaugurate this feature, uh, Jeff, do you have the timer ready to to cut us off if we hit the 10-minute mark? I do, and it is ready. All right. So to kick this one off, we're going to throw it to Josh to talk about what the cool tech pick was in his most recent game. Timer started now. I also want to brag because I came up with a name for this segment, so it's awesome. Uh, but in, speaking of awesome things, I was playing a game against the wonderful Jeff here, and he was playing uh, English Ivan. And it was not quite a mirror match, but we were in the same faction because I've been dabbling in Explorers recently, uh, playing Anya. I was like, English Ivan is just incredibly annoying. Dropping terrain, having concealment surrounding all of his guys. How can I just screw him over? And the answer was the Grave Goo. Grave Goo has a lot lot of tech that specifically messes with uh, how the uh, English Ivan crew works. The big thing that you bring it for is the Trail of Slime ability. And this is on uh, on the front of the card. States, enemy models uh, treat terrain in base contact with this model as hazardous. Damage one, poison one. English Ivan is notorious not only for dropping hazardous terrain in the form of shatter, or dropping terrain in the form of shatter markers, he also has models that just have an aura of concealing terrain. So that means any time one of those models is near the grave goo, their aura does damage to them every time they act in it. And I, I did the checking on this. It literally states the area within one inch of all the Umbra models, except for English Ivan, uh, it counts as concealing terrain. And the wording on the Grave Goo specifically says that it makes all terrain and base contact with it uh, into hazardous one and uh, poison one. So uh, it, it's truly a pain in the butt. Yep. It's 
it makes getting up next to uh, the Grave Goo really problematic. And um, Grave Goo doesn't stop there with its its vexatious nature towards English Ivan Crew. Because another thing that the English Ivan Crew really doesn't have very good stat wise is movement. Their move duels are their move speeds are really low. So the Grave Goo engulf ability also works very well on them. You can box them for an extended period of time, and when they pop out of the box, they place next to you and are in hazardous terrain and take damage. So it's really just adding insult to injury. Or yeah, in this it's case... Not, it's not, not fun having a Brock Inspector buried for most of the game. Mm, yeah. This is balanced out by the fact that a Brock Inspector does counter a lot of the uh, defensive abilities of the Grave Goo in the form of its regeneration. But, you know, bitter with the sweet. So... How did you feel about that, running into that for the first time, Jeff? Uh, I felt that you were a dick, uh, but aside, aside from that, um, it was a good uh, tech pick, especially considering English Ivan, most of his crew uh, are not ranged. Most of them are melee-based, uh, particularly uh, the Umber models, so they... You don't they can't use their uh, one inch ranges uh, against the grave goo due to slippery. Uh, so you're just kind of out of luck. And almost all of them are uh, in, uh, explore society in general are very slow. They have a whole lot of movement fours. Uh, so the engulf ability became a true pain in the butt. Uh, as a tech pick, this is also a good thing to bring into English Ivan uh, as a uh, random happenstance because uh of the way that it's worded you make the uh area to enemies hazardous so you can bring it in with your own umber uh duo crew and make your own auras hazardous to the enemy as well makes auras hazardous makes the terrain hazardous and if they're in both at the same time that's two different pieces of terrain so they'll be taking two damage and two poison each time they do something in that terrain potentially very strong and extremely demoralizing use it <laughs> mess with your friends Delay your, yeah. or, delay yeah, your uh, when opponents. you're playing English Ivan, it's really good to uh, if you get the Grave Goo in combat, uh, summon a or activate English Ivan, Ivan and summon a, a model into base contact with the thing that's in contact with uh, the Grave Goo, and now you have hazardous terrain all around you uh, or all around that model, and there's not a whole lot that they can do. Uh, so it's a, it's a good little tech book pick, but you need to watch out for an Explorer Society versus Explorer Society matchup because it will completely screw over your own crew. That's a really creative pick, guys. Um, I think we're definitely going to be seeing the Grape Goo some more. I wonder, do you... like So the, the combo of stacking multiple sources, potentially, of hazardous terrain, is that... Do you think that's strong enough that you might even consider bringing a Grave Goo and an Umbra model into another hazard-creating crew like Anya? That's really I, expensive. Grave yes, Goo is not is. cheap, and the, the quality duo models are neither cheap nor particularly fast. Like a Brock Inspector, the aforementioned move for... So you're not going to get that Brock Inspector up without some sort of trickery, which the duo crews have in abundance, but other ones potentially less so. I did have a fun thought of maybe taking an Apex crew with a Crypsis core, uh, and then because the Crypsis core has an ability where he, if he's within, uh, I think it's three inches of terrain, he counts all... Uh, all area within three inches of him as that type of terrain. So if you have a grave goose standing next to it, 
it would make that whole area hazardous. And then if you brought in a Deva, which is a shadow, uh, a number of model, it can uh, copy the Crypsis cores. Uh, oh, the separate timer here. Um, it can copy the Crypsis cores sniper shot. So it's something that you could do, but it, uh, I think that's a little expensive. And right. I don't know if it quite works. Is that our but. time? Are we up for the segment? Uh, no, technically we have uh, three minutes left. That was just a phone call. I was kidding. All right. Well, that is a great tech pick, you guys. So let's uh, let us know in the comments on this episode if you like this type of format. Uh, and if you do, we will bring it back, talk about some more exciting tech picks into particular matchups uh, with particular factions. So now we're going to move on, take a very quick break, and when we get back, we are going to jump straight into the main event with our buddy Herman, kicking things off with what he loves, hates, and loves to hate about the Frontier crew. Stick with us. All right. Welcome back, folks. We're going to kick things off with this analysis of the Frontier faction. So Herman is going to start things off, I think, with why he initially had some reservations about Frontier, uh, but then is going to talk about how it's grown on him and how he's like a fungus, like a fungus. So Herman, take it away. Thanks. So it's kind of interesting. I. When I started playing Guild, I did not look very closely at Frontier. I, you know, I kind of looked over Bass's card, and I'm going like, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. This, this sucks, and I kind of threw it away. But you know, I do believe in like playing an entire faction. So eventually, as I worked my way through all the masters, I finally got down to the last two. I was like, okay, let's let's start on these guys. And unfortunately, I've been playing them for about a month now, and aggravatingly, they're really growing on me. I actually think they're really good. And I wanted to actually encourage people to check them out, try them out, and play them. So I thought we'd kind of approach this kind of like adopting a dog. I'm going to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it, and then we'll talk about all the good things after that. So get all the bad stuff out of the way first, and then we'll talk about all the amazing things that happen. So why I hate the Frontier. Uh, I have a lot of reservations, no puns intended. Uh, One of the things is just their stats suck. Like, where's the sixes, man? Just where are the sixes? Everything except for Bass and Rykart is a five on defense and willpower or worse. It's kind of like uh, you're playing Dash Hole where you have all this mounted guard, you have all these guardsmen. They're very disposable because you can summon them, except for these guys don't come back when you kill them. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Really heartbreaking, especially bad for terrifying. And this translates over into their attacks. There are majority fives on all their attack sets too, with the exception of uh, Bass, Rykart, the Sandworm, and uh, the Ostringer's Bird. Then you start getting into things like, you know, I one of the things I really look for, one of the things I really like about different crews is keyword synergies. And, like, it's it's not like, you know, where you have Nelly where everything's like, you know, this model does this for this thing and this model does this for this thing. Or like Jetso where you pop one healing and 18 effects go off. And it's a cornucopia of bullshit. It's these guys like, a dust cloud is the same dust cloud for everybody. It doesn't matter if you take just uh, Bass and Bernadette and hire everything else out of keyword. They're all going to get those dust cloud benefits. And then on top of that, you have this anti-synergy. There is a shit ton of crap in here that does not ignore concealment. Like a shit ton of crap. And it will drive you batshit crazy. 
So you have a lot of those things going on as well. So I would like to add to the dog pile on uh, Bass for a minute and think about you know what he looks like when you just look at his card and their big fancy crewability of home on the range. They come across as being designed to do an alpha strike, but Weird has some experience with alpha strike crews. They had Dreamer way back in the day, the first dead Dreamer bomb. And that was a, a demoralizing and extremely powerful uh, play style. So they're like, okay, we're going to make it a crew that does alpha strikes, but we're going to make them bad at it. And that's what, that's what you get when you get the Frontier crew. Am I right or wrong about this? Um, I think it's more a little bit of anti-synergy. A lot of their crew is very ranged-based, and so your ability to start closer to your opponent is kind of like, uh, okay. And the counter to that is like, well, you don't have to start them closer. Okay, cool. But then why do I care about that ability on my frontier crew? Uh, so it, I think that's a little bit of an anti-synergy there. Uh, I get around it by, uh, you know, taking the, uh, the beast models and, uh, Paul Crockett, but you know, uh, that that's just my personal play style. And just to recap for anyone who isn't familiar with the ability what Home on the Range does is all of the keyword models have Home on the Range plus one, where they say when you deploy, all models with that ability get to deploy uh, an inch further for every model in the crew of that keyword. So if you had, for example, five models with that ability, all of them would be able to m deploy five inches out from the de normal deployment zone. And it's funny because I'm already upset with you all because this is supposed to be the I hate frontier. And I think you guys are all batshit crazy because that ability is phenomenal. It is so stupidly phenomenal. And it is part of why you should be playing them in guild. And we'll get to that a little bit later when I'm saying nice things. Uh, continue. We'll continue, continue with your bad rant. <laughs> Um, uh, one of the things though you are talking about alpha striking being bad at alpha striking and home on the range, it actually takes AP to put up these dust clouds. They go away at the end of a ter every turn. You got to put them back up. So I had a game I was actually facing off against Wong and Whizbang of all damn things. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'll put these things here. There's one sight line. I just have to put up one dust marker and I'll be safe. And then he flipped a 13 on initiative for the first turn and lit my butt up. So you got it's not like uh, Titania where you're just placing these things down automatically as part of your deployment. You got to put these things down every single turn. That is a target number five, or you need to flip a five on your target number for most of the models every single time. Those target numbers add up. They're kind of annoying to do, and so that's something that that does drive me slightly nuts. Uh, it also screws up research mission. So don't think you're being super clever. Oh, I'm going to put down a dust marker counter for research mission. They're going to go away, and they're going to make you very unhappy when you learn about that. Uh, some of the other things, um, this, this is me just being kind of shallow, being a, a power Very shallow that I am. The, the models are kind of boring, honestly. As you know, like, like Jeff shows up, he's like, oh, look at my monsters. I have this goo that puts you inside and slowly dissolves you and eats you. And I've got a broken specter because it's so freaking OP. And I'm like, yeah, I, I've got a cowboy. He, he looks he looks a little, a little like a cowboy. But you have two different kinds of cowboys, maybe three different kinds of cowboys uh -huh. and I, one of them is weirdly irish 
and I'm not really <laughs> sure why, but he's a ginger with mutton chops, and, and it confuses and infuriates me. Well, um, you do have the sandworm, though, which is pretty strange. Yes. Yeah, you, you, the sandworm you is phenomenal. Thank Society for that. <laughs> Thank you, Explore Society. The sandworm, who is notably not living, so he can't wear a coat. But that'll come later. Yes. Yes. Although, oh, I, how amazing of a model would that be if you put a coat on a sandworm? Uh, it'd be so cool. You would, I would wonder. It's cold. We had to put one on. I mean, it would basically come out looking like Gracie, right? They're from a desert planet. Of course they'll be cold here. I, I think it would just look like he's wearing a sock. Uh, <laughs> a lead line sock. <laughs> Very big sock. Weird lead line sock. Next upgrade. There we go. Print it. Print it. That's how you protect your Achilles heel. It can go with Von Schill's shirt. Uh, plus one armor, negative one movement. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Oh, that's an interesting trade-off. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a future episode about upgrades. So a little preview there. So, um, and then the final cherry on top of the ramp before we get to all the good stuff and why you guys are crazy about Home on the Range. Hold on, I want to guess this one. Is it Bernadette Bass? I actually didn't have her down as a negative. <laughs> but then you're wrong. But continue. No, that's okay. You can go jump off a cliff. Um, send the sandworm after you. No, it was if you take uh, the traps and you should take the traps, you're going to give up pass tokens. And the crew just gives up a lot of pass tokens. That's way harsh. This is all way harsh. So, so if you've made it through this and now you still want to play them, then congratulations. You've earned your rite of passage. You get your... We'll brand you, we'll, you know, capital B, brand you for Bass on the app. I want to want to add into your negativity here of Bernadette Bass being completely horrible, and uh, she needs to uh, have some form of adjustment done to her. I, like I said, I'm actually okay with her. In spite of all this, you 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 think these you, they grew on you. So I really want to hear this. I want to see why this is a crew that makes you excited now. In spite of all this, I think they're probably in the talk for a top crew and guild. What? Whoa! Whoa! That is a, that's a hot take there, sir. Tell that us. That is a bold all proclamation, right. good sir. Let's, uh, let's hear your case. He's on drugs. Uh, it's allowed in DC. <laughs> uh, that's his case. It is because you can play them into effing anything. They can do all the strats. They can do most, like, 90% of the schemes. Um, so, you know, if you think of, like, you've got the range game, you've got the melee game when you're playing that, you know, it's like uh, you've got the pass game and the run game in football. They can do both. They can defend against both. So you have your dust clouds. Um, that will protect you. It gives you cover and concealment against all these range attacks. Your opponent's dealing with negatives to hit. They're dealing with negatives to damage. They're dealing with plus one stats. It is a pain in the ass to shoot at this crew. It really is. And if you are playing with good amounts of terrain, it only takes two dust clouds. It don't take a lot. And you can shut down a lot. The other thing is that, yeah, they're not counter, they're not synergistic, but you can hire whatever you want out of keyword, and it's still going to get the benefits of that concealment. It's going to be great. Uh, and then you get into the melee game where you have Bass and Reichart are freaking tanks. They are a pain in the ass to kill. They are hard to take down. And then you put Leadline Code on them on top of that just to be delightful because, you know, that's, that's the kind of giving person I am. So you've got these guys that are difficult to do, deal with in melee. They're difficult to deal with at range. They have all these schemes and strategies that are open to them. 
And one of the things that makes them really interesting, really unique, and really strong in Guild is that they cover the board unlike anything else in that faction. That faction has a horrible time scheming. They have a pain in the ass time getting across the table efficiently. This is the keyword that does it. I am regularly starting seven inches up the table. Now, you got to start smart about it. Don't just line all your shit up for Leviticus to shoot them. Yeah, you know, be intelligent, Do use it. terrain, Do use cover. It. Yes, nerf Leviticus. Hallelujah. Apparently nerf bass, honestly. Nerf bass. <laughs> so be about smart about it, but you're, you're starting on the center line. Like, that's an incredible advantage on a faction that sucks at moving. And from that point, you can do spread them out. You can do breakthrough. You can do claim jump. You can do leave your mark. You can do seven. You can do all these different schemes are way more open and way more available to you because you are not spending all that extra time on movement. And that is a huge, huge thing. And that's why all y'all are batshit crazy when you say home on the range is bad. Um, home, I, I didn't say home on the range is bad. I said it's anti-synergistic to the crew. It is pro-synergistic to scoring, sir. But we all know that you're not very good at scoring. Right. That was a story from a different time. Don't um, make this weird. Oh, it don't make it weird. Good. So I've got a question. So thinking about home on the range, so you're saying you average seven. Let's just say, for sake of argument, that you had six models with this. Would you rather that those six models be able to deploy six inches up or that those six models have the Herald ability where at the start of the game, you get to move six inches. Mm, That's tricky because you can skip around terrain with them. Uh, So like if there's a building, you wouldn't be able to rock around that. I think I'd probably rather the deploy six inches up. And like I'll I'll draw cause, and I'm doing seven because a lot of times I'll actually end up playing all in keyword. Can get to that. I'll dump a model for going out of keyword and I'll deploy it six inches. That extra inch isn't the big deal. The big deal is that five to seven range. Yeah, yeah. dump a couple extra people, pull in an out of keyword model, lawyer, whatever. But like that is an entire AP that you've covered, just straight off the top. Yeah, so it's like six free AP for all your guys, but maybe even more to your point, like that, that distance might put you more than one APs worth of walking ahead of the deployment zone because of the terrain. Right. And then you can also, um, you're not trying to deal with models, trying to walk around each other. You can place them precisely how they need to in order to unpack efficiently, uh, things like that. And then on top of that, you know, while we're talking about movement is this is the keyword that has the sandworm. There is a reason why everyone in Guild loves the undercover reporters, because he can pop out nearly anywhere on the table based on an enemy minion. The sandworm can pop out nearly anywhere on the table based on, you know, some terrain. But that gives you this ability to play the whole table. You're starting up half the halfway point. You're popping a guy down and popping him out in the backfield. Like it opens up an entire table to a faction that traditionally struggles with that. That is huge. That is absolutely huge. So how much do you think the sandworm being added to this keyword and by proxy to guild changes the balance mix for frontier uh, is revolutionary. Absolutely revolutionary. Like I use it in every game, even when Jeff screws me, um, 
with uh, recover evidence. I still use it. So I, Herman and I talked about this in our game. Uh, I, I want to add a couple of things here. Uh, I played English Ivan against uh, Herman and those dust clouds, even though they are concealment and they uh, provide a benefit to English Ivan, they still make frontier models uh, that are near them. Uh, they get covered. So they're still outstanding uh, for a frontier model to have. I may get a positive to my attack because you're standing next to one, but you get plus one defense and a negative flip on damage to you. So they're still really good for you to put up. Uh, and then the sandworm, even though I gave it a... a an evidence marker and it couldn't bury it's a good model by itself a model that's uh it's basically a resurrectionist model it's got hard to wound it's uh, uh soul eight uh soul stones but it has nine wounds uh it's a low defense with a four but you know it's got a couple of mitigating factors uh like it can uh, bury unless it has an evidence token but it hits really damn hard for an eight soul stone model so uh and then on top of that being able to potentially get three attacks per turn out of the sandworm is really good. Uh, so in general, uh, it's it's just an awesome piece to put in with uh, that crew. And one piece on specifically that matchup between Bass and English Ivan is that I didn't want to give him the benefits to me being uh, in concealment. So I kicked up the dust behind me. He's got to draw that sight line through the concealment. I kick up the dust behind me. I got my back foot in the dust cloud. I still get the cover. He doesn't get the bonus. So uh, then one of the other things that I do want to touch on real here is the clockwork traps. This is something, and we're going to talk about them in a little bit more detail, is that they can pin back your opponent. So you are actively moving yourself up the field just for free, and then you have these little guys who are just annoying and will randomly do incredible things for you, pinning your opponent back, wasting their time, wasting their AP, and just being really annoying for them. And you are really making it difficult for your opponent to actually leave their deployment zone, specifically on turn one, where they need to get in position to either counter you or to score themselves. That's a, I, I've always loved the traps, and I'm excited to talk more about them. Because I know even in second edition, when they were something you could see in 10th Unders or in, uh, in Guild, like they were always a pretty interesting and impactful piece. Um, but let's get, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear a little more about some of the particular models, um, maybe touch on Bass himself, talk a little bit about Bernadette, maybe debate whether she's good or not good. Uh, not good. And, and, uh, yeah, so stick with us. We'll be right back and we'll talk a little more about the models. Hello. Do you like our podcast and want to ensure that it continues to run? Maybe you want to hear our outtakes on unedited footage. Or perhaps you're just flush with cash and you like being generous. Either way, we've set up a Patreon just for you. If you like us, please consider donating. Our Patreon can be located in the show notes. If not, we're all pretty sure that it's Herman's fault. Either way, if you like our show, go ahead and leave us a comment. Thanks. All right, welcome back. And we're going to run through the models in the frontier keyword. So let's start it off with the big bass boy himself. The bass pro shop. The bass pro shop. Uh, Mr. Bass. What do we so, like about him? 
One thing to um, to talk also about the crew from sort of the last segment, but before we jump right into bass, is their durability is also plussed up a ton. But there is a ridiculous amount of healing in this crew. I think off the top of my head, they may make a lot of me. Every single model in this keyword has a way of healing itself or something else through a trigger, through an ability. There is so much healing here, and that is going to help you for public enemies, recover evidence, let them bleed, vendetta, assassinate hidden martyrs. Uh, my favorite demon strategy, driving Jeff insane. It's going to help with all these different things. Uh, so it really keeps them up and running and on the table. Yeah, keep talking, and I'm going to bring uh, all the seeker keywords in with Bass, and we'll see how healing works for your crew. Oh, oh, Seeker's broken. What? Big shocker right there. Bold take. Really hot, spicy take right there. It I is like pretty that. amazing that Jeff immediately went to the most OP thing in Explore Society. Not yeah. the topic right now. We'll save that for another fight. I, I also loved the, I think, your phone being like, Duh! in the background. <laughs> uh, all right, so, but yeah, let's let's jump. All right, back to, back, back on topic. Mr. Cornelius Bass. Gunslinger, lawman, extraordinaire. Just an all-around handsome guy. He's rocking. He's rocking that stash. You know, he's got the Tom Selleck going on. Apparently, Herman picks his models based on their mustache sizes, not their actual cards. Well, between him and the weird Irish frontiersman, yeah. Um. So, goddammit, big Von Schill energy right there. So bass. Um, God. Are you, you are you okay? Do you need a minute, Herman? <laughs> I hate you, Jeff. Um, so straight off, right off the top, he's got a really, really legit gun. He's a min three damage uh, caster. Those are always great. You want to have you know kind of that extra beater in your crew, putting it down a little bit fun. Um, the downsides: it's got a low range. It does not ignore concealment. This is what I was going on and on about, about counter synergies. This is a crew that puts down concealing terrain. He does not ignore concealment. So that's just something to be aware of. Either you bring in the steward to give yourself focus, you walk around, you move your own models, or you're careful about how you place your dust markers. But or you can get him into melee and he can shoot you in melee. Yeah, he's got gunfighter. So he does have the uh, one-inch range on the gun, but guns are usually better at longer range. Um... I mean, yeah, I knew that's a hot take. Guns are better at long range. Look, I want to hug you from afar. That's why I'm in guild, not Neverborn, because I Neverborn hugs too close. I want to hug you from far away. Sort of like an air hug, a pandemic compliant hug. Yeah, I, I moved over to the pandemic friendly faction. Hug is only in ten thunders now. Huh? <laughs> All right, we will never get through this if we don't focus. Okay, so the one thing that he does have is that Dust Clouds plus Entangled in Briars, which is his defensive trigger, makes him really, really difficult to actually put him down. And the thing to remember with Tangled in Briars is it's after resolving, so you don't got to succeed. You can just throw down any single crow that you want to and declare that resistance trigger. It'll knock your opponent back two inches, and if it's a melee action, then it will end their activation. Just got to make sure that you have that Dust Cloud near them. Uh, you combine that with Leadline Coat, all the healing, and the heart to kill, and he is challenging to assassinate. He really is. So he's going to be one of your beaters. He's very difficult to put down. Now, the other thing that he really, really brings here, there's two pieces, is Claim the Bounty is kind of the easier one. This is he can pick up a bunch of ski markers and draw uh, cards off of them. 
Uh, he pulls them out of his discard pile. So if you've got a great hand, go with Bass, shoot things up, spend your cards, draw them back into your hand. Otherwise, you can just, uh, anything that's happened previous activations or as you're flipping, you can draw these cards back into your hand. Card draw is really, really good. It's something that Guild struggles at. There's a reason why we all hire the lawyers. It's because he has the surge. It's because he has tools for the job, tools for the trade, whatever it's called. Um, you want to have some of that card draw. Bass is bringing that for you. This is something where you can also de- deny your opponent's schemes. They come forward and they want to do leave your mark. You're like, oh, thank you for the card. I really appreciate that. That's really kind of you. Then the other thing that you really want to get into when you're looking at Bass is caught in the quicksand. Now, this is his attack that does ignore concealment, so you're not going to be struggling to get around your dust clouds. And what this does is if they are in severe terrain, like in a dust cloud, for example, or in anything on the board, you can place them somewhere else on that terrain. Depending on how your board goes, this is going to be either a low-impact attack or it is going to be the most horribly frustrating thing your opponent has ever dealt with. Uh, I was playing you know, that game against Wong. He had Gracie. Gracie is not unimpeded. Gracie is speed four. I popped Gracie all the way on the other end of a forest. She was not terribly impactful for the rest of the game because she's a big fat pig and it took her a while to get back. And that's just, you know, one action. He can um, also remove terrain with it. He can get blasts off of it. And then he can also make that terrain uh, hazardous. And again, if you have that big forest that you're worried about, the big forest your opponent has to walk through, make that hazardous. That is going to really, really mess with them and it's going to mess with them badly. And uh, to, to uh, piggyback off of this, there is nothing on this card that says it cannot be used on friendlies. Uh, if you move your own model that's immune to hazardous terrain into that forest, you can use it on your own model, make that forest hazardous, and then use Among the Willows trigger to make the terrain hazardous, and you place your model outside of that terrain. So it's you can use this on friendly. You're going to uh, give up one damage and injured one, but it may be worth it. And where that comes in, especially in Guild, is with the... No Prisoners upgrade. That gives you Riot Gear, which reduces the damage you take by Hazardous by one down to zero. So you'll actually take zero damage from creating your own Hazardous terrain if you build that upgrade into your game plan. So again, this is something that it's going to be very, very dependent on the table, but it's something that can be really, really, really strong and really frustrating for your opponent to play against. And anything I'm doing that frustrates my opponent is a great thing for me. Not so much for my friends. So let's go to the maybe controversial totem of this crew, uh, Bernadette Bass. Uh, what do we think? Herman Should... says thumbs up. Jeff says not good. Well, she's good at not being very good. <laughs> Which, let, let me explain. Like, as Herman was mentioning, um, you can get Bernadette Bass killed and it doesn't really affect your game plan that much, which is good because she has Bring It, which you can use to lure up your own models. Uh, they get to swing on her, but okay, you killed Bernadette Bass, big deal. Uh, uh, honestly, to me, the best thing about Bernadette Bass is that she's cost two so and that she's, and she's a significant model, so you can pair her with most other models like uh, a, a Peacekeeper or if you plan on running a model forward, uh, she doesn't really need to factor into your game plan. So you can leave her sitting in your deployment zone in the very back and do Hidden Martyrs. And she's a great uh, uh, pair with Hidden Martyrs because she pairs with pretty much everything else in the game. That's a really great example, though, of how the mission design can really change the viability of a model. I love it because it's a great example of Jeff 
lying in the first segment and then coming around and agreeing with me in the second. I don't find that the best thing on her card is that she's cost two to be a redeeming factor. You should see some of the other guild totems. Then, then you'll change your tune. So she, she is significant, which means that, Hey, this is a shitty model that you can use to run ley lines, at least for, you know, the initial, and then she can walk and pass it off to somebody else. So you're not spending like a model that you're paying for to do it. Um, she's great for hidden martyrs because of exactly what you said. She's cheap. She's disposable. And then you can actually build up a nice little plan around her on turn one where you're going to activate her. She's going to drop that scheme marker. That's going to feed bass. It's going to get your car draw going. She's going to drop that dust cloud. That's going to protect your crew. Then she can either bring it on an out of keyword model to uh, bring it on up. So that way you're kind of counteracting that favorable terrain for yourself. She can focus. She can run off somewhere else. Then on turn two, just throw her into the mix. Who cares? She's hard to kill, so it's going to take at least two to put her down. Um, if you don't put her down, she's got a built-in heal trigger, so she'll heal back up. She's got frantic, so she'll be positives to everything. She's just annoying. She's like a little freak clockwork trap with um, a mohawk. It's She's just annoying. I will say her bring it uh, when she can pull bass up. She'll, she'll just take the hit, and who cares? Like I've used her to bring up a peacekeeper. Oh my gosh, it hit her. Hey, she's not going to die and because she's got hard to kill. So, And my peace bringer is six inches up the table. Woo, that's good. Well, I mean, the other thing too is they have to attack if able, right? Like you can also just be more than their melee range away when you pull them forward. Mm-hmm. Yep, so... so- but no, so I mean, she she has a very specific purpose on turn one, and she can have a very specific purpose for leyline for hidden martyrs, and that's I, that's what she contributes. That's what she does. That's why she's not crap. I will say she does pair well with uh, when if you make a, a any form of terrain hazardous, her if she gets near that terrain and uses bring it, uh, they're gonna, they're going to take one damage for moving through the terrain, and then they have to take a melee attack against her. So that's another point of damage. So you can move a model while t- getting two damage out of it. Uh, I mean, it's a use for her. Thank you, Jeff, for for kind of coming around. I didn't say it's a good use for her. <laughs> I, I, it's still not a fan. We know what's in your heart of hearts: a deep and abiding love for Bernadette Bass. Yeah, she's she's Naomi from um, oh, what's that show? The Expanse. The Expanse? That may, the, that may the be the meanest thing you've ever said about Naomi from The Expanse. <laughs> you take that back right now. I love that show. All right, moving on to uh, somebody that is uh, at least somewhat decent. Let's talk about Riker. Uh, no, we're actually going to talk about traps first. Yeah, the other two stone model. Oh, okay. I like traps, so I can't really talk about it. This is why you hand out pass tokens like candy. Like a yeah. summoner, you hand out pass tokens. And there's a really good reason for this. And the reason I wanted to talk about them before some of these sexier models like Rikert is because of how big an impact they have on how you build your lists and how you play your game and how you deal with your crew. So the goal of bringing in these traps is you want to pin your opponent back in their deployment zone. You want to mess with their ability to unpack and you want to appeal their ability to position for scoring. And so unpacking is something that, at least coming from War Machine, we talked about a lot in that game because it's a larger game. It's more of an army scale versus Malfo, which is like, you know, six or seven or eight models. But it applies to Malifo too, where it's just how is your crew going to move forward on turn one? How are you going to get out of your deployment zone? And how are you going to get into position to do things? And the traps will completely jack that up. So 
my rough guidelines uh, to kind of break it down is I take between zero and four traps, uh, the average out to be about two, and I do it based on deployment. So if it's standard deployment, that's when I'm most likely to skip them. If it's wedge and corner, that's where I'm most likely to take at least two traps. Flank, that's going to be more like four traps. It's based on the amount of area that you need them to cover. And again, those are guidelines. Feel free to break them. I know one guild player takes like eight traps, and he hires in Sonya, and he's got a crazy crew that apparently works for him. But my goal with them, they're going to die. They're past tokens. They're expendable. I don't want to sink too many resources off my initial crew building into them. That's why I aim for around two. Um, but they are very, very, very good. Because, you know, when you're playing this game, a lot of the times when you start, you're kind of going with those trash activations. You want to keep your, your big scary models for the end when there's a end of turn one, when there's less of your opponent's crew that can retaliate against them. You want to kind of get that idea of I'm going to hit you last on turn one, I'm going to hit you first on turn two when I cheat for initiative. So there's a lot of the people where, you know, you'll burn those pass tokens, you'll use your trash activations early. These guys are both trash activations and incredibly useful because they can walk, they can charge into your opponent's deployment zone. Now they are engaging models. If they hit something, it's staggered. And remember, staggered doesn't just reduce move. It stops other models from moving that model. So ride with me, that's gone. Fly with me, that's out. Uh, pushes, all those things that people use to actually unpack their list, that is stopped. And then the, you have a model physically there that they have to deal with. So if there's something they want to activate um, that model first, move it out of the way, then a model behind it, that model behind it is now stuck too. And that's going to really mess with them both psychology. It's going to mess with their game plan. It's really, really good. Um, the other things that you can do is that if they want to disengage from you, you've got to chuck a card to do that. That's actually a rule that's kind of hidden on their card. Everyone always forgets about it. Remember, if they try to walk away from you, that's going to cost them out of their hand right off the top. The other thing to really consider with these guys, they cost two stones. They are speed bumps. Don't cheat with them. Don't invest cards on them. It's okay to let them go. It's okay to let them die. They'll randomly do amazing things, but it's going to be fairly random. It's going to be fairly all over the place. And obviously the caveat on that is that if you do need to cheat with it for a very specific purpose, you know, go ahead and cheat. That's just, you know, a guideline. It's like the pirate's code. To further what Herman's saying right now, when you build your crew, most crews typically have around eight models, which means through the course of the game, uh, what is that, 16 uh, AP per turn uh, times 550, about 80, 80 AP, something like that. Um, these guys will generally absorb two AP each. So if you're taking four of them, that's roughly eight AP that the, uh, the your opponent's crew is not able to use towards what they were planning on doing because these clockwork traps are in the way and they will adjust the what your opponent has to do. Very rarely, even if they have a minimum three beater, it's going to take two hits on the clockwork trap unless they get uh, higher and you know manage to do four damage to them to take them out in one shot. Most things will take two AP to take this trap out. So it's they're very, very, very good models. Do you ever summon them? <laughs> yes. Every chance I get. If you got that five of tomes in your hand, I just kind of put like a little bookmark on it. Like, hey, that's that's going to go become a trap. I will say, if if you're taking the traps, 
Uh, I mean, we can segue this into a Pathfinder if uh, Herman feels like it, but if you're taking traps, you should also be taking a Pathfinder with them uh, just because of how he interacts with the traps. Uh, namely, when he activates at the end of his activation, any number of friendly clockwork traps uh, in play can take a walk action. So if you're taking four clockwork traps and you go first, first with your Pathfinder, summon another trap, end your turn, all of those traps get to take a walk forward and they can almost be in your enemy's deployment zone if they've uh, deployed from the shadows. Yeah, I mean, it's free AP. When you summon them in, they're not slow. He, he has a fairly decent range on his summon. He can put him four inches out from himself. So he puts them four inches out. They're going to walk another three inches, I think, as their movement. So they're getting seven inches there, and then they're just going to engage something. Like, they are the most annoying things in the world. And then when they hit you with, um, you're coming with me, they're going to randomly push a model three inches, stagger it, and play some base-to-base with it. And it will drive somebody nuts. And don't look over the fact that they uh, hit movement. So if you manage to hit that first uh, stat five against their movement, and most things have a movement of five. Uh, going above five, uh, you know, when you get into the six range, uh, those are really fast models. Most things are stat five for move. Uh, but if you hit them once, now they're going to be move three, usually. I don't know why my phone keeps going off like that. But um, So I, I, clockwork traps definitely need to bring them along. Awesome. So there we have the clockwork. Do we want to move to get a bridge over into the Pathfinder? Since yeah, why don't, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the Pathfinder, and then we'll loop back to the beaters. So to me, the Pathfinder is almost like you know when you get the box set, you get those three minions that kind of come. They're supposed to be kind of your core minions. Uh, in this case, it's the Frontiersman. Shove them aside. The core minion to me for Frontier is the Pathfinder. He's kind of your workhorse guy. He is, you know, someone you can rely upon. He's going to stick around for a bit. He's going to be really useful in so many different situations. So he is a really solid pick. Uh, he's got a great gun. He has great triggers on his gun. He can give slow. It's got a fantastic damage track, actually, two, four, five. Like getting that moderate of four is really, really strong on a six hole stone minion. Uh, he's going to be able to summon traps. Then he's also got um, Trailblazer. So every start phase, he can take the follow my path action, move another model two inches. So that right there is great. He's moving the traps on his own. So he just brings a lot of utility. He brings a strong gun. His gun ignores concealment. It is not counter synergistic with the rest of the faction. It is actually building into all the different synergies that you want to. I'll, I'll usually take one. Sometimes I've even taken two. You'll never regret it investing in these guys. And don't overlook those two triggers with this long carbine where uh, you can choose to, with a tome, ignore armor, or with a uh, crow, you can give the model that you're hitting slow. So his long carbine is an excellent attack. Yeah, you you can't really ask for a better gun on a 6 soul stone model. Other great synergies, the Clockwork Traps have Hunting Partner, so you don't have to worry about them for friendly fire. So they function as even better tar pits as a result. Right. So you wanna what about what about the henchmen, right? So sticking with kind of your core crew, uh Jonathan Reichardt, where does he fit? He's he's a big, big old fat executioner boy. So I'm just gonna throw that bald is beautiful. All right, and Reichardt <laughs> is beautiful. I love Reichardt. Like you look at his card and you're like, eh. but so what I had done was I was kind of like looking at this. I'm looking at this from a list building perspective. Who are kind of your in keyword beaters? 
which is going to be Bass, who you're generally required to take him, uh, then the Sandworm, and then Rikert. They're all going to be min 3 damage. They're all going to be stat 6. And then you start looking into breaking down on... I really would generally like my beater to get three attacks. That's where Bass comes in. That's where the Sandworm comes in. Uh, Bass obviously has Master AP, and Sandworm has the Sudden Strike trigger when he pops up. Rikert is on paper less popular because he only has the two attacks. But one of the things is that in Guild, Leadline Coat, he now has Armor 1. He now has Laugh Off. You can't move him. He's got Heart to Kill. He's got Grit Hardened, so now you know he gets down to half health. He's Armor 2. And then he has Disguised. So if you go back to, you know, we're talking about these guys, it's a pain to shoot at them. It sucks to shoot at them. I played him into Lord Cooper against Jeff, and Jeff's like, well, I'm going to charge you in melee because screw shooting at you. Um, well, I have Disguised. And Disguised, you don't think about it. It comes up a lot. I have to remind my opponent about it almost every single turn because like, oh, I'm just going to charge him. I'm like, you can, but it's not going to do anything. It is there for wasting your opponent's AP. Just like the Clockwork Traps are there to waste your opponent's AP. So you've got this guy. He's really hard to put down. There's a lot of healing and keyword to keep him up. He wastes your opponent's AP. He's got a two-inch melee range, so he can waste him that way too by engaging him. So they got to walk into one inch to get into him. Um, and then he's uh, he's got bring it. So that's bring it is kind of randomly useful because it again go back to that counter synergy does not ignore concealment. Typically going to have a decent amount of concealment here, but when it comes up. It is really, really good. And with home on the range, this is another thing. It's range 12. You're deploying five to seven inches up. He's in range to use it. First activation. You don't need to walk. He's just grabbing models. I had a game against Ulix. I grabbed Ulix and yanked him up into my crew on turn one. And Ulix did not escape from that, shockingly enough. Uh, me, I, Reichert's usually, uh, uh, as he stands, he's usually a pass for me, uh, mostly because he is fairly easy to kill in Explorer Society because we don't have the lead line sock. Um, but I will say there's a, a little bit of synergy there. Uh, anyone that uh, has been playing with uh, Lord Cooper knows about the hold down trigger. Uh, and he has, uh, Reichert has his uh, bring it on, or the hold down trigger on bring it. So uh, if you manage your uh your ranges correctly he can use bring it on a model that only has a one inch range and they would not be able to attack Rikert because he has a two inch range but you can do the hold down and bass can get a free shot off on the model that's coming at him so i mean it's not a bad uh use for a high crow yeah and i mean and it it feeds into things like um take prisoner or if you're like playing recover evidence you want to isolate a model you can bring him into your crew having those lures on Rikert, even having it onto bernadette uh hers is a little harder to get off but it's still really useful it's really good for isolating models and then piling onto them so at, at, with guild i think he's an outstanding model with guild because if you can start him off at armor one and then later on he's reducing damage by two uh the big weakness uh, uh the big strength i, I, I apologize the big strength that uh, Frontier have is when you're shooting at them, they're usually in concealment and have cover from everything. So you are at a negative to shoot and you're at a negative to damage, plus you're giving them a defense one at the same time. So you usually counter that by going into melee. Well, Riker's that front man that stands in front of things and says, all right, you want to come into melee, you're coming through me, but if you charge me, you don't get your attack now. So that kind of, I think he's the the thing that you stick out in front to help absorb some of that stuff uh, to protect the rest of your crew. Can we, can we talk about that disguised? 
how, sorry, just a fla- minor flavor point. This man is an enormous dude with like a robot suit and giant claws. How is he disguised? I'd like to point out, sir, that if you look at his art, he has a bandana across his face. Oh, oh, okay. So we don't so know. There's no way that you could ever know uh, that he is going to hurt you with his giant scissor claws because he's wearing a bandana, also known as the lead line sock. Yeah, it's like how every single member of the bandit crew is also disguised, right? Right? Uh, no. Well, and that's something that's actually kind of fun. If you're playing against bandits, he cannot be targeted by running gun. Oh, that is true. <laughs> this was weird streamlining the abilities. In, in a previous edition, that would have had a unique bespoke name to indicate the exact same power as disguised. Uh, but they got, got rid of that because that was dumb. I, I like it. It's just it's weird and unique on a beater. Like, what other beater has disguised? It's interesting. Now, you're right, though, Josh. I, I think because, like... You're right. In second edition, it would have been like some ability. It's like I'm too scary or something, or like terrifying, or well, not terrifying because that's an actual ability. But like it would have been something about how like no one wants to charge him because he's big old scary guy. But like, I think but Ash yeah, you're and right. Dust had a similar had a thing like that. There was disguised, but not called disguised because Ashes and Dust didn't have a disguise. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. No, disguised on a on a melee beater is strong, uh, just because. It, it eliminates a avenue of attack from melee centric crews, so no complaints there. It is a great power, and you know, screw the fluff. That's wholly unimportant when it comes to making an awesome model. No, it's super fluffy. And the other thing is that all the other executioners they cut off both hands. He's only cut off one, so he's like half. He's only half an executioner. He's halfway well, disguised. Well, that's why he doesn't have the execute trigger. Because he only has one set of claws. <laughs> you need both. <laughs> yeah, no, I think my. One of my issues with Rykart is that he has Executioner Clause, but no Execute Trigger. Uh, I challenge our listeners to uh, model a Jonathan Reichert, uh with this disguised ability. Maybe like maybe he's hiding underneath a box. Maybe he's hiding behind a cactus. Like Somebody put up uh, a model of Reichert where you have him in displaying his disguised skill. It's Bernadette on a 40. <laughs> it's actually, I was going to go with an undercover reporter. He's in a barrel. Uh, just a really big barrel. Actually, no, giant, no, a really tiny barrel. Giant barrel filled fill with claws. All right, so <laughs> so who are, so who are your other beaters? Or when you said the, she said it's Rykart, it's Bass, the Sandworm. Do you usually yes. take Sandworm and Rykart? Uh, oftentimes, I'll take Sandworm and Rykart. Um, like I said, I love the Sandworm. He can stretch the field. It's a fantastic thing, especially if you're playing in guild. You really want to have something like that. Uh, one of the things I really like about the sandworm is that he can actually create hazardous terrain himself. So one of the things that I said, you know, pop up turn two, you get your sudden strike attack. So you get your one attack there. You get your another AP attack just so you get your two attacks that you really want out of your beater. Then you have the option to either attack something else or you can put up this hazardous terrain, which depending on, you know, if you're playing against an opponent that likes to clump up, that hazardous terrain can be a huge pain. Um, so that's something to think about. If you are, if you really want to play research mission, he can you know he has a trigger he can keep up the dust clouds so you have that option to him as well. But generally, what you want to do with him is this is what I talk about unpacking. You want the optimal turn one is he's focused, walks, he's going to bury make a dust cloud wherever you need it for your crew, and that'll get him out of the way off the table. 
nice and safe and buried. And then he's putting up that kind of that shielding that you want on turn one. And it's another one of those kind of wasted quote unquote activations that you're getting a lot of value out of. Um, and then obviously you pop up turn two. The other thing is, is since he can pop up anywhere after turn two, he pops up, he can go run and scheme. Like he's in your opponent's backfield. He can go do whatever he needs to do. It's just, you got to give him that turn of being on the table because of, um, soulstone miners needing to be nerfed. They went ahead and took that out on him as well. Uh, the sandworm, one of the best beaters, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue this one. One of the best beaters in the game, uh, and because it can get three attacks at 3, 4, 5, stat 6, uh, literally on any model on the board that you want to bring him up next to. He can tear from below. It only requires a three rams for him to pop out and uh, do a melee attack. And, you know, but you're, if you hit with all of your attacks, which isn't unreasonable on a stat 6, you're looking at a minimum of 9 damage with a quicksand trigger that could do slow to, and anyone that's ever used uh, bad juju knows that quicksand tri- uh, trigger is outstanding. Uh, or pop up, do two attacks, and then do sandstorm to give yourself a nice, uh, severe, concealing hazardous terrain around you uh, so that you can protect yourself a little bit. Of course, Herman, uh, tell about the Frontier versus Frontier match. So Jeff is kind of a dick. And so when I was like, hey, I'm playing bass, he's like, oh, I, well, I want to do that now too. So <laughs> did he take a grave goo? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> so he was playing uh, Explore Society. I was playing Guild. So obviously I was playing the correct one. But the fun part is is that Sandstorm does not specify enemy frontier models. It's just non-frontier models. So he popped out. He sandstormed, and everybody in my crew ignored it because we were all playing frontier. It's true. The interesting part is then he was playing. Um, I think he brought it with Cooper. He did it again. <laughs> So he did it not once and learned, but he did it twice. Why would I ever bring the sandstorm with uh, sandworm with Cooper? I don't know, but you did, and it was pretty weird. Okay. Um, so the one thing, oh, also with the sandworm is do be aware when you're picking your targets. Uh, anything that has terrifying, he does have a pretty awful willpower. Like everything else in Explorer Society. And that's actually a huge weakness, and one of the reasons I get upset about the stats is that, you know, whenever you buy stat 5, there's no Ruthless. You're either counter-hiring in Ruthless, which is perfectly fine in Guild, there's plenty of it, or you're just kind of hoping you get lucky. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the Sandworm. Uh, I would take him out of keyword, uh, and I, I think the Sandworm is an excellent model just because he's a, uh, a better Soulstone miner, but you can't take three of them. So And you don't get Soulstones. And you don't get Soulstones. <laughs> uh, but while we're on the Sandworm, Jeff, why don't you talk about Mr. Crockett? Um, yeah, so I love Paul Crockett. Uh, <laughs> this kind of teams in, I'll mention another uh, bring that I bring in the next section, but Paul Crockett pairs well, really well with the Sandworm because of his A, Scent of Blood ability, and B, his coordinated attack trigger on his long carbine. So if you pop a Sandworm up uh, on top of the three attacks that I already mentioned, Paul Crockett can attack, and if he hits with his stat 5 gun uh, that's ignoring concealment and uh, friendly fire because the uh, Sandworm has Jaws of the Beast, uh, you can discard a card to make the Sandworm attack again, and then if you get a mask on the attack, you can use coordinated attack to make the sandworm attack, attack a second time. So if you're 
uh, adding up, if you have the cards and you're adding up all the attacks here, you can get potentially, what, uh, we're looking at three, four, five, six, seven attacks from the Sandworm uh, in a turn, uh, at minimum three, stat six. That's pretty good. And I think this is kind of one of those ones where you see a disconnect between Guild and Explore Society, is that I don't take Crockett all that often in Guild for that Sandworm combination because that's like the only combo there. He also has the option for Malasaurus Rex. And also, correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe Explore Society has better card draw upgrades than Guild does. So I'm relying on my Bass to pick up Scheme Markers to get a little bit of card draw. This is a very card-intensive thing, whereas you have that ability to get a little bit more in order to support yourself here. Yeah, yeah, not through upgrades, but uh, we have the option of bringing in... uh uh, what's it, uh, Winston Finnegan to get an extra card or uh, Jesse Halliday that will give us soul stones and has a little bit of card draw with her. So uh, those are both uh, interesting takes in if you want to bring them, but that's next section. We should continue talking about this section. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are actually uh, most of my key models, the pathfinder, the Paul Crockett, the sandworm, and then my key t- uh, picks outside of that. Uh, Herman, what else do you take in guild? So I have explored, like I said, I like to, try everything you know it's kind of like a a golden corral of gaming if you will so you won't go through so i have taken the rough rider i have played with the Ostringer as well i have i haven't really tried the frontiersman sorry guys uh so the rough rider i they always do shamefully bad whenever i've gone against them and so, I, is that just because I play Rezzers and bring terrifying and willpower attacks? Or is it because they're just bad? Both. Uh, so, like, this goes back to kind of my rant about crappy stats. Like, you're, I'm playing Guild. I've got Mounted Guard from Dashiell. They are literally the same thing, except a Rough Rider is worse in every conceivable way. So, literally, the Mounted Guard is faster on the same damn horse. So, uh, figuratively the same thing you're saying? I guess it's pedantically the same thing. Pedantic is what I did. So the Mountain Guard is actually faster, speed 7 versus speed 6. They have an easier ride with me, needing a 6 in order to get off, and the Rough Rider needs a 7. So I've had horrible, horrible luck with their guns like at all. But where they do come into play, and this is where people do take them, and where I have been taking them and have had success in a few games, is that they're fast enough to run symbols, they're fast enough to run ley lines. I have done catch and release with them. It's very master-dependent. I did it on Wong because you can run up and engage him and no one really gives a shit. Uh, He's not going to do anything to him. And then you start looking at your scheme pool. You're looking at breakthrough. You're looking at sabotage. Ride with me allows you to be that model that drops a scheme marker, moves, drops another scheme marker. You can score those in one go um, in that way because you need to drop the two for sabotage and then breakthrough needs a few as well. So you can get a lot of utility out of them that way. And that's, again, cycling all the way back to home on the range you're starting at the mid-table. So you're basically a whole movement ahead of the mounted guard trying to get up there. So you're already able to kind of go and run these things aggressively. Just keep them out of line of sight of things. They will fall down and just die. It's really... Horse fall down, go boom. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll explode when they die, apparently. So- That's not a rule. I'm just being sarcastic. <laughs> so for, for the Rough Riders and the Ride With Me, I mean, that's... That's a great ability, honestly, every time it shows up, but it can also be one that you need to plan and think about, right? Like, what do you, what do you think about in terms of positioning with that? 
Yes, and that's a really key one. So as you're going through and as you're deploying and as you're figuring out your game plan, you're gonna. My goal is to generally, I want to go with Bernadette or the Clockwork Traps first. It's going to be based on how many guns my opponent has. Do I need to get that first dust cloud up? Um, the other one, instead of Bernadette, you can go with is a Sandworm because he can walk, uh, focus, and then drop a cloud and bury. Um, so do you need to get that first dust cloud up? Now you're going to go with your Clockwork Traps, so they're going to jam your opponent up. While your opponent's dealing with that, you're now free to do what you want. So now you need to decide from that point onwards who's moving, who needs to be moved up forward. If you're going to rely heavily on Bass's gun, it's only range 8. That's where Ride With Me is really useful because now you can just ride him up. He can start within range. You can place your dust cloud kind of where you know you're going to want to put him. You're going to want to put him into that dust cloud so that way he starts with the cover. Um, but you want to make sure that you have this all planned out before you put models down because this is a 50 millimeter base. This is a push. You can't weave around things. Don't block yourself in. Think about it. Don't block yourself in. And just smacking yourself on the forehead. Be like, why did I do that? I'm I'm gonna uh, just go ahead and say uh, leave the the Rough Rider at home and take a Pathfinder instead because it's a Soulstone cheaper and it'll accomplish things better. Yeah, it I'm, it depends on the scheme pool. They have been useful specifically for places where you want to drop two markers a turn. That is Sorry. where full uh, let, let let me let me rephrase this. If you're playing in a scheme pool with. Uh, Cornelius Bass that needs you to go run scheming, don't take uh, the Rough Riders. Just go ahead and hire Uller and uh, Artemis and have them do it for you because they are way better than the Rough Rider. Sorry, I'm I'm playing in the the balanced faction. You're playing in the overpowered faction, sir. He has, uh, he has a point there. He has yes. a really good point. You should um, absolutely take the dogs over. Uh, I, I can't uh, put a lead line sock on my dogs. I'm sorry. <laughs> I refuse to put a lead line sock on my Rough Rider. <laughs> uh, well, so it, it, is it, it because they're not good enough for you to put a sock on them? Pretty much. Well, in terms of something that borders on synergy with the crew, uh, though the Rough Riders don't ignore concealment, they do have a built-in positive flip on their repeating rifle. Um, and so a that, stat five, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's stat five, but that's why they could afford to get the positive flip. Would you rather be stat six at a negative flip? I doubt. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one because the flip side is you're just like make them ignore concealment. But they uh, they tried to solve it instead, and I, from like a game design point of view, I actually kind of like that. Is that you have a lower stat, but you have a built-in positive. It gets you around a few other things like um, Serene Countenance, things like that. So it's kind of a neat way of kind of counterbalancing that with they don't ignore concealment, they get the positive. I hate the stat five. It misses all the damn time. Isn't their gun also only two, three, four instead of two, four, five? It yes. is. Two, three, four crit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, there's that's a my reason opinion. I say uh, great things about Pathfinders and I say run schemes with these guys. Yeah, fair. Run away from Jack Daw with these guys. So who? So you filled out at this point. Your crew is, you know, Bass, obviously Bernadette. You're getting the Sandworm at eight, probably Reichart at what is he eight or ten? Ten. Ten. Twelve. Um, lead line yeah. coat puts you at twenty. Yeah. So you're taking a Pathfinder. What else? If you're Jeff, you're taking Crockett. What? What about Frontiersmen, Austringers? Are you so, taking that? 
Um, we, we can talk about Frontiersman real quick. He's a five five soul stone dude, and he's got five soul stone dude problems because he has no defensive tech, and he's going to die like a five soul stone dude. There is nothing particularly wrong with them. There is nothing particularly special about them. Uh, that healing that you think you're going to get extra healing, and that's a fucking trap. They're they're just going to fall over in an activation. That's to the way. No, no, no. Tra- traps are good. They are not a trap. Yeah. Um. Field, so field kit in and of itself is something that's going to get you. Now you look at people look at deputy and they're like, "Ooh, that's kind of cool. He can shoot back." No, that's going to trigger like one time in any ten games. You're going to have to discard a card. Even then, you're kind of kind of screwed by it. One thing though, if you are going to take them because uh, you got the box and you're playing with the box, is that deputy triggers on themselves. So if they are themselves getting shot, they're within six inches of themselves. They can shoot back on their own. They don't need like another friendly model to trigger it. Once again, they cost five, and that Pathfinder costs six. So you can do the math for yourself. Pathfinder, I like a lot better. But again, it's you got to get three of them with a box if you want to play with them. They're there for you. The, I, the Ostringers, uh, Herman and I had a debate about the Ostringers the other day. Uh, Ostringers are good in certain situations, uh, and I will let Herman go more into that. Because uh, I don't usually take the Ostringers. I'm not a big guild fan. Uh, I take Austere and Twig if I want an Ostringer ability. But uh, go ahead, Herman. So I had picked up the Ostringer. The particular board that we were playing with had a bunch of buildings. So I ended up parking him in a building because he ignores line of sight. So he was able to sit there in the corner of this building and just pick off anything he wanted to, which is actually fairly nice. I The bird is a bonus action. So that's a little bit iffy, but it does ignore a lot. You're only going to get your one shot with it. I find that they're great for Vendetta. Because it's very easy for them to ignore line of sight, pick on that one model, and knock it out. They're difficult to put down. If they take a big hit, you can toss a Skybound ally upgrade, uh, keep them alive that way. Um, something for Claim Jump, like Rykart is a stud muffin. He is not going to die. But oftentimes, you're going to let him moving around. He's going to end up engaged with a lot of models. So you want something for Claim Jump that can kind of sit behind him. And the Ostringer kind of works for that. Again, because of this Skybound ally, he can chuck it because he's going to just kind of stand there and shoot things with his bird. So he's something that you don't necessarily mind for that scheme. Uh, it's something that he can run away pretty quickly and then come back. He's kind of a cheap model disposable for that. The other thing is that if your opponent makes a mistake and picks him for a cover evidence, when he dies, he poops out a Raptor and abandons him, just like he abandons it to avoid damage. The Raptor can be placed on top of the Recover Evidence Marker, and it's going to stop that right there. And then when that Raptor activates, it can make another Raptor. And that other Raptor can pop out wherever the hell it wants to. Uh, no, sir. Uh, let, let's, let's be realistic here. Uh, the Ostringer uses the Raptor as a shield. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, how Groot uses his arm as a shield, but in this case, it's a bird. So not the same at all. That's, that's cool. Yeah, that was a rough analogy. That was a rough analogy. So the trained raptor, I'm curious about that. Have you ever lived a dream and like had one that then summoned another, that then summoned another, and you, like then you have three of them running around? You have to have corpse markers. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, my Austringers don't die. It's usually corpse markers around. Yeah, Austringers are usually sitting behind buildings, so you don't have to worry about them dying. But yeah, I don't hire in the trained raptor. They're just uh, something because they're insignificant is the big reason. If they were significant, then we'd be having a different discussion. Uh, the fact that they're insignificant, uh, it's not really worth it. I'm already hiring in traps as, you know, trash. 
So there's something that's just kind of a side Benny. Side Benny. That that's a that's a term. I think he's an outcast. No, no, he's he's a guilt, sir. <laughs> so uh, if I'm going to hire an Austrian, that'll max out at one. I'm not going to take multiples of that. Yeah, fair. So I mean that that pretty much rounds it out, right? That is everybody. Cool. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to talk about out of keyword choices and also go a little deeper into the difference between explorers and guild although we've heard a little bit of that as we went so stick with us and we'll be right back all right welcome back so for our final section here we're going to talk a little bit about the out of keyword models uh the difference between explorers and guild and then talk a little bit about how you get started what you actually need to buy if you want to get into the frontier crew but so to start it off jeff why don't we go to you as the explorer society expert here what are you bringing for bass out of keyword that makes it unique in your faction so there's a couple of different ways that you can go with this. We slightly mentioned earlier uh, the abilities that Paul Crockett has, and sometimes I'll team Paul Crockett up with a Sandworm and a Malasaurus Rex, who is just an excellent model to begin with, but he's also a beast. So those extra attacks of the Sandworm I was getting that I mentioned uh, can also go to uh, the Malasaurus Rex. Uh, but there's some other synergies there where if Bass makes something uh, hazardous, if you're in a large piece of terrain, uh, this, the Malasaurus Rex ignores that hazardous and can move models around fairly easily with his abilities. Uh, so not only is he hitting hard and he's hard to put down because of his terrifying and how many wounds he has, but on top of that, you're also getting the benefits of this hazardous train that uh that bass can make around them um other things that i would bring uh, consider bringing in Harmon mentioned the healing that this crew has sometimes i'll slot in austera and twig because they have abilities similar to an ostringer and you can technically make a i ignore line of sight gun line with two ostringers and austera and twig but austera and twig is also bringing some card draw in for you in the form of being able to discard two cards and draw two cards. Uh, so you can get rid of those low cards that you happen to have in your hand and help mitigate some of those uh, bad hands that uh, we all have every once in a while. Uh, but she also has an ability when uh, something around her heals, uh, she gets to look at the top card and choose to discard it or put it back. So you get a little bit of foresight into what's happening in that turn. Uh, other things I'd be remiss if I didn't mention bringing along uh, our good old buddy, um, Oh, what is his name? Um, Mike Mikhail the 13th or whatever, 76. Um, because of his the healing ability in this crew, he can be popping around all over the place. And unlike uh, the iteration of Rikert right now, uh, our uh, Mikhail actually does have armor. So he can be that frontline defender for you that doesn't die as easily as Rikert does for us because we don't all have lead line socks that we put on every day. Um, so that's a couple of things that I would slot in, uh, for this crew. I've already mentioned, uh, some interesting abilities or interesting, uh, models like the, uh, uh, Jesse Halliday to give yourself soul stones and draw cards, uh, and also bringing in, uh, Winston Finnegan. So you can have that extra, uh, 
the extra card in your hand as well as moving models around, uh, which is always nice to have. Uh, so those are a couple of things that I would slot in. Um, you you can also, as an odd side piece, take the uh, oh the bellhop porter, and when he does his ranged attack, he has a built-in trigger to place a dust cloud in base contact with uh, whatever he's hitting. Uh, it's, you can just pick one marker that's on the board, and he makes a clone of it uh, at whatever he's hitting. So that's an interesting little tech pick that you can bring along as well uh, to kind of hamper some of your crews. Uh, but those are things that I would slot in, and they dramatically change how you play the crew. So I actually love that Weird has altered this crew to the point where um, if you take him with Guild and you take him with uh, Explorer Society, you're going to see some totally different crews in that aspect. Uh, Herman? Yeah, so I kind of go in a different direction, obviously, being the uh, Guild player. One of the first out of keyword looks that gets basically universally is the Guild Lawyer. He is just a sexy, sexy beast. Uh, great card draw, obey, he can put down, uh, draw out some secrets, so he can put down a couple scheme markers for Basti for some more card draw. Just a really all-around useful, useful model. Uh, after that, kind of the other one that gets talked about a lot is the Pill Rider. He also brings that ride with me, similar to the um, Rough Riders, except he's really good. He brings more healing, which is very useful. And his gun has built-in stagger that obviously synergizes very well with the Clockwork Traps. That synergizes very well with you laying down terrain. That synergizes very well with Bass's uh, caught in the quicksand that's attacking your movement. So those are always kind of the first things that people talk about. You have the Lone Marshal will slide into here very nicely as well. Very fast, very accurate. He ignores concealment. Just another fantastic model that's always talked about. Some of the other ones that you can start looking at a little bit deeper. uh, People talk about the Guild Steward a fair amount. I don't feel like you need him in Frontier unless you're looking for that Dispel for Condition Removal. And that's going to be a very Master-dependent matchup thing. Otherwise, people bring him a lot for the healing and the focus. I feel like there's enough of that already within the keyword that you can actually skip him for models that are going to do more work for you. So he's actually one that normally is in the conversation. I think you can usually get away with leaving him at home. Again, unless you're looking for something where you got to clear out a lot of poison, a lot of distracted is very bad for you. After that, you're starting to uh, look into Grimwell. He's a fantastic scheme runner on his own. He loves staggered. He can put a lot of card pressure on your opponent because you're going to have the staggered from the traps. You're going to have him coming in and forcing discards with his uh, built-in crow. That's uh, really useful. But then one I really wanted to talk about a little bit, and I really want to start using this podcast to kind of push a little bit, is the Peacekeeper. I feel like the Peacekeeper is a really, it feels like underappreciated model within Guild, who's actually really, really good. Uh, he's got three attacks with Flurry. He's at min three again. He's got armor two. He's hard to wound. He's very difficult to put down. And then uh, one of the things is, you know, we're playing this Ivan game that we keep talking about. I had brought in Rikert. I wanted to bring in the Peacekeeper at the end of the game because one of the things that Ivan does that you have to really control is his summoning is based on willpower. And when you're willpower six, that means a Brock Inspector is coming. And anyone's played against it yet, you hate Brock Inspectors. They are broken specters. They are evil, nasty, awful, horrible things. You want to keep them off the table. You do that by having everything be willpower five and below. It turns out there's only one Frontier model who is willpower six. And it is, of course, Mr. Reichert. So that's kind of a nice uh, side trade. And then, you know, the Peacekeeper starts backwards. You just use um, follow my path and Bernadette to pull him up. And it's no problems there. So that's one that I kind of really want to start pushing a little bit. I've used him 
With uh, Frontier, you have dust clouds that can keep him protected that way. I've also used him a little bit with Journalist as well. And he's just he's been a really, really solid beater that's hard to remove for me. So I think that covers kind of, you know, the breadth of out a keyword until you start getting to some of the weirder ones. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd be remiss since we started out with this if I didn't mention the Grave Goo. Wherever he stands on your uh, dust storms, he makes them hazardous one and poison one. You know, kind of bringing that full circle back to the beginning of the episode. Yeah, feel free to uh, to bring that guy into Guild. I have no problems at all. <laughs> well, it's not my fault that you have. Uh, Leadline Coat. Do you I ever put Leadline Coat on a Grave Goo? Can oh. you? Hmm. No, you can't. Okay. Can. <laughs> uh, do you ever find could you... be a format though, where like one of the the mixed master team formats, where you pick masters from two factions? That's probably a really gross combo of that. Probably. Sorry. Sorry. Actual legit questions from Josh. Back to you. Do you ever run into an issue where you can take too many out of keyword models, or is it really just like one or two? You know, if you run into the issue of not having enough tech to reliably bring them forward to match the advanced positioning you get from home on the range. So usually the times that I've taken multiple ones, I've had the ability to pull them forward with Bernadette or it's been like the pale rider who's just fast on his own. So that's never been too bad. Um, I think the most I've ever taken is I did run a crew where I had Bass, Bernadette, Riker, a Pathfinder and everything else was out of keyword. So it was like Fiona, a pale rider, a lawyer. Um, the crew bricked a lot harder, so it didn't move up as much. But I didn't have any real problems moving my own guys up. Especially like if you're taking the lawyer, he can obey somebody also. Yeah, and um, it's, it, th- this crew, it's not like they're slow. They're not like movement four and things like that. So they can still move around well. But uh, in the similar vein to what uh, Herman was just saying, like if I'm bringing in Winston Finnegan, he's able to move one of my models roughly five inches uh, up the board uh, and place himself with it. So uh, I usually slot out one or two uh, things that are not uh, frontier models. So it's you're not you're still looking at a six inch uh, further movement up the board. And then one of the things that's actually worth mentioning also in Guild, because Jeff absolutely will not stop griping about it, is Fiona Gage. This is a keyword that I believe is tanky enough and healing enough on its own. It does not need her. So you're welcome, Jeff. There you go. Finally, there is a crew that he does not take Fiona Gage in. That's because every other time you play me, I'm using journalist. Man, it's going to be awesome when the next time you play against his bass and he takes Fiona Gage and you just start swearing. I did it to him once, and he got really bent out of shape. <laughs> oh, she's in every crew. Just that's so, because all you've ever played against with me is journalist. So is Fiona your version of Hans? Not really, because Fiona's good. No, she just uh, he takes Fiona with a leadline coat, and so when you try to go in on any model, he's like, oh, "I'm going to take the hit with Fiona, and then not move her because she can't be moved due to leadline coat, and she's going to take the attack." And I'm at positives because there's a scheme marker underneath her, and uh, when you hit her, you're uh, she's armored too, and I can use soul stones, and she just becomes this like massive tank sitting in the middle of this crew, and you're like, "Oh." Cool. That's. Uh, I'm gonna go do my schemes over here while you play your little game of absorbing hits. You do realize that if you try to make a guild crew, any master in the app, it just automatically adds Fiona with leadline code to your crew. That's just. That's just how the I, game. I, I think that's true. That's just how the app works. 
Yeah. Jeff has a little bit of recency bias because before <laughs> I was playing Frontier nonstop, I was playing Journalist nonstop. So she's yeah, in keyword for that. that. That's fair. So, so Hermit, if you, if I was just starting out and I wanted to get into Frontier, like what, what am I actually going to buy to get into this? So this is kind of an interesting one. And this is where you shouldn't necessarily follow my biases, but my biases are going to affect this answer a little bit is that, cause I don't think frontiersmen are that great. I think they are passable. I think if you're just starting out, you can use them for a little while. I think they'll do okay for you. But I think at some point you're kind of, you know, you grow up, you grow out of them as you play the game more. So kind of my starting point was you're obviously going to get the Bass Core box. That's so going to have Bass, Rikert, Bernadette, and three Frontiersmen. Uh, you're going to want to start with at least one Pathfinder box because that'll get you your four traps and a Pathfinder. Um, you want to look into an Ostringer uh, if that's kind of what's your flavor. And then the sandworm is going to come out in March. You're absolutely going to want the sandworm. So once you kind of have that core, I mean, that's, I mean, that's not a cheap buy. Unfortunately, it's not like some of the other core boxes that are a little bit more value. Um, and that's kind of a downside to starting him. And unfortunately after that, if Crockett's your speed, you can get a, go get a Crockett. Uh, you're, you're going to want that second pathfinder box at some point and rough riders will come out. And if you want them for scheme running, Otherwise, get a couple 50 millimeters and glue a horse on him, and no one, no one will be able to tell the difference. Emissary, yes, no? Emissary is kind of a mixed bag because he only has the two attacks, but he does have the healing aura. So I don't hate the guild emissary by any stretch. I don't take him all that often. The times I have taken him have been like tech picks, like when Jeff was actually trying to do uh, his little Crockett thing. I actually took the emissary for crowd control and that shuts down the sandworm Crockett combo. So if you know, you're going to go into a combo like that, where you're obey heavy things of that nature, then he's useful. That's more of the tech pick that I bring him for rather than anything else that he brings to the table, but he is a nice beater. But don't forget, even if somebody brings tech pick, uh, he's still only six soul stones and hits just as hard as the pathfinder and bringing a Malasaurus Rex is still a Malasaurus Rex. Yes, that is true. And I believe my emissary killed the Malasaurus Rex. You killed Rexy, you asshole. Well, I'll also put out a plug there. It sounds like for Peacekeeper, who, if you were in guild in general, I think is going to be a model that's going to be useful. Yeah, I believe he just released with the um, the Watchers as well. And the Watchers oh, yeah. are kind of, they're on the bubble because they're a really, really useful scheme runner but they get a little bit pricey when you start paying the out of keyword tax for them. So I've taken them a couple times out of keyword because uh, off the top of my head, I think they're armor one and movement seven with flight. And that's just it's a good. great combo for a scheme runner. Uh, so that's, I think that's a handy box to kind of acquire. It wouldn't be one that I'd necessarily put at like buy this first, you know, if I am just starting out and I'm just starting with bass core box, pathfinder, Ostringer, that'll get you going and then you can kind of grow into the other stuff as it comes out. Um, that's the Pathfinder box, and then somehow you're going to find uh, have to make your own traps because you're going to want more than the, I think the Pathfinder box comes with two. I thought they came with four, and you bought two of them and you got eight traps. Yeah, I think Maybe. So. I'll yeah. look into that. I think it's four. Um, but, I mean, you could always improvise some additional traps if, if you need them in a pinch. Yeah. So I don't think I've had more than four traps on the table at once because, I mean, they do die, and then you can just cycle them back out. 
So great. Well, so there you have it. Uh, any last thoughts on Bass? Uh, if you're playing into him, terrifying is really, really strong. There's a lot of low willpower, and it's going to hurt you. Um, there has been a lot of uh, negative thoughts on Bass over the last, uh, I'd say, 90 minutes. Year and a, well, no, uh, <laughs> at, it, there was a lot of negative uh, thoughts on Bass for a while. Uh, the European scene uh, has recently started using him a lot more. And I think there have been a couple of tournaments that has been uh, soloed with Bass over that way. Uh, so go ahead and go take a second look at them. I think if you do, and you start using some of the tips and tricks that have been brought with this, you'll see that, you know, maybe you misjudged him to begin with. I do honestly think he is one of the strongest, most versatile masters in guild. And this is coming from someone who really doesn't like him. I do not think he is one of the strongest and most versatile masters in Explorer Society because Explorer Society are awesome. But, uh, yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, there we have it. We'll leave it there. And uh, we'll be back in your feed soon with some more exciting either Master Deep Dives or other content based on what you, the listeners, let us know. So, So once again, remember to hit up that Patreon And let us know in the comments what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Like, comment, and subscribe. That's how you support your content creators. Absolutely. Until next time, Capital City Crew signing off. Peace. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.